Welcome to Win the Future, a podcast where we chat with folks who are tackling the most significant challenges our communities face today to make for a better tomorrow. I'm your host, Brett Broster. This is episode number 11. Hello and welcome to Win the Future. I'm your host, Brett Broster, and I'm here today with a very special guest, Jim Quish, who is the Planning and Zoning Commission board chair in Milford, Connecticut, and all-around fantastic guy, environmentalist. Welcome to the program. Jim, obviously we've been in the midst of a pandemic, and now you're doing public meetings instead of being in public over Zoom. Can you talk a little bit about what you've learned from that process and what some of the challenges and opportunities are? When we first started doing remote meetings, I was um, quite uncomfortable. I felt I didn't have control. I was worried that just wouldn't be seamless, you know, wouldn't be wouldn't be effective. And we did have um, a number of issues. We had people that weren't able to get on to the meeting. I think we had a meet one meeting that we didn't have a quorum because the link didn't work for somebody uh, that was on the board to join the meeting, you know, and so. It was uncomfortable at first. I'm more used to it now. I had computer uh, connectivity issues at my house, so I would do them at my office. And then we, uh, we solved that problem. So I've done the last couple from my house. So, you know, that's, that's somewhat easier. But um, at first, it really was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. And I'm getting more used to it. I guess you just get accustomed to it. And it's okay that we wait a little bit longer for a drawing to come up or a document that we can all look at together. It's funny, you're not sure if you have given everybody an opportunity from the public to speak, right? So when we're in person or when we were uh, in person, then people would line up or stand up and walk to the microphone. And so it was pretty obvious who wanted to talk. So now we have options where you can um, raise your hand digitally through the Zoom platform, um, or you can wave and and you'll get recognized but yeah so you know i kind of had a feeling that it would be over by now and it looks to me like uh like it's not yeah yeah so um i think this is where we are for a while what advice would you have for other chairs of of uh, boards and commissions uh that are just jumping into running meetings via a platform like zoom you know, I don't know that I know that much to be able to give advice, but I think that f- what worked for me in- initially was to not have any responsibility for the electronics, right? I just had what I had in front of me. I think if I was fumbling around screen sharing and and finding, you know, glitches that I had to, to address in, in the moment, it would be more difficult to focus on the substantive issues of the application. Having done it more and more, maybe I would ease into having control and allowing the applicant to share screens or to share the screens myself. Right now we have our, uh, our board secretary, David Salkus, do that. It's, it's probably best that, at least initially, it was definitely better to have someone else handle the electronic part of it and uh, connectivity part of it so I can focus on 
the public and the other board members. And, and in terms of the public, with a contentious issue specifically, let's say it's electronic billboards, for example, I know that uh, dealing with ensuring people have their voice heard versus making sure the meeting runs smoothly is difficult. What are some of the mechanisms you found that, that are, are helpful in handling that? Yeah, I mean, that particular meeting um, was complicated. It was complicated for this reason. It, it was a meeting that was a public hearing and it was left open, but it was left open with specific issues that it was open for, right? So it was the safety issues and distraction, right? So we had some information that was incomplete regarding other areas that had digital billboards and then changed their regulations to to not allow digital billboards. And we wanted to find out uh, whether that was because of uh, safety issues. And we left the meeting open, but specifically only to address safety issues. And what actually happened was there were a lot of speakers on both sides of the issue and they, a lot of them didn't stick to that. Although it was in the initial instructions and those instructions were given more than once and they were disregarded, you know? And so that to me was very frustrating. I don't know if it was visible on the Zoom meeting or in the recording, but I was, I was very frustrated and, and disturbed by it. You. You actually didn't show it. It was extremely frustrating, though. Sitting on that board, it was very You were there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, you, you handled it with grace. I, yeah, that was actually the only, um, the, the only time where I really felt there was uh, disruption, you know, from what we were supposedly doing, right? There was, we were addressing one issue and one issue only. And so... That makes me think about whether or not in the future, if we keep a public hearing open, do we try to limit it or do we just, if it's going to be open, it's open. That way we don't have the dissonance with uh, people disregarding the, uh, the format that, that we were supposed to follow. In that same, kind of in that same vein, what would you recommend to, the, to folks in that public place of looking to comment on projects what would be most helpful to get their message across? I think it's just, it's their right. So it's, it's up to them. You know, I think that if you plan out what you're going to say, and a lot of people do, you know, people bring up written notes and, and facts and figures and research, and that's great. You know, and there's a lot of active people um, that I've seen in the years that I've been involved, and I think that's great. I, I find it difficult to sit through when people are mean-spirited and, and attack and um, you know it's it's really not personal or it shouldn't be I mean I guess again it's their voice and they get to do what they want I mean I think it embarrasses um, them if they come out and attack either developers or individuals personally but it's up to them you know so it, for me I would give them all the leeway that uh, I can, as long as they don't, they have to address the commission, not the applicant. I won't really sit through any attack on an applicant or, or any member or the board in general. 
that that's something that I will uh, do my best to shut down immediately. Other than that, it's up to them. It's their feeling. It's their it's their three minutes. Should folks look to submit more in writing in a time like this where it is difficult to um, navigate, or is it still probably primarily showing up to the meeting and speaking directly? I think that even if you submit something in writing, I think you sh- you show up and and let your voice be heard. You know, you can show your face or not, and. You know, even if you pretty much say what you wrote, you know, this way it puts the personality into it, you know, so I think that that's valuable. And I think that ha- that has more impact. It could be the case that a board member may read some, you know, a letter or a petition several days before the meeting, and it may be less impactful and more impactful if you augment that with personal appearance. So, Jim, let's talk a little bit about affordable housing. I know it's been a, a point of contention in Milford. How do you feel about the future of housing growth in the city? Well, we did have a, um, a plan of conservation and development meeting a couple weeks ago where reviewed a document that was prepared for the city. I think it was a grant. And it was a housing analysis. I think we have to do that every five years. And it is not spearheaded by the PNZ. It is something that the Economic Development Office is tasked with doing. So they hired someone. So we, we reviewed the information that the consultant uh, provided and, and, and the report that they submitted. And... Um, it talks about how Milford does need more housing. It, it starts out with a recap of what housing we actually have. And so the report says that we do need more housing and we do need affordable housing. We have a state law, 830-G or 8-30G, I forget exactly. But um, anyway, it is a state law that was crafted to make sure that municipalities have sufficient affordable housing. And the way they did that was they said that if a developer would put 30% of the housing stock that they're proposing to develop and designate that as deed-restricted affordable housing, then they could skirt local zoning regulations. And what that did to Milford was it allowed for these multi-unit developments in single-family neighborhoods, which I was very much against. Not against affordable housing, um, but I am against uh, the the manifestation of or, or what actually happened in response to that regulation. Now we are in a moratorium, and we are tasked with creating a blueprint to provide that ten percent affordability. Now, what the state law says is that it has to be deed restricted affordable housing, and it has to be new housing created after the um, enactment of that legislation. We have a number of federal housing properties here in in Milford that are not calculated. So if those were calculated, we'd be closer to the 10% number, number one. And number two, we have a stock of rental houses and apartments that are very close to that affordability number, right, which is... uh, 80% of the mean and 
I think 27% uh, to go towards housing, uh, meet the mean income. That being said, we do have both a responsibility and an opportunity to craft what that that affordability and, and, and craft where and how we want to achieve that 10%. And so that becomes a, an opportunity to, to do it sort of our way, as opposed to just letting developers buy up an acre of land and put 12 or 14 apartments on it. So that's something that we are, we are looking at. And we'll need partnership with the mayor's office and the board of aldermen to get it done. But but I, I look at it as an as a, an opportunity to actually get it right and make it spectacular. You know, make it achieve what we want, but have it be part of what we want to see Milford look like. Well, Jim, we just need to take a quick break for commercials, and we will be back for the second part of the interview with Jim Quish. When the future is sponsored in part by Connecticut by the Numbers. If you're looking to learn more about what's happening and why, check out Connecticut by the Numbers, where every number tells a story. Connecticut by the Numbers goes beyond the headlines across the state. For Connecticut news that counts, visit ctnumbers.news or follow them at ctnumbers. And we're back with uh, the second part of the interview with good friend Jim Quish, who is chair of the Milford Planning and Zoning Board. And I know we've talked about downtown in the uh, new development coming online uh, and with the, the apartments uh, we've talked about um, housing in general but what about with commercial properties in downtowns across Connecticut and across the country are going to be struggling a good amount in the wake of the pandemic what would you like to see in downtown Milford um, or what are some of the things that are being discussed the development in downtown Milford will be driven by the developers, not by the board. We can and are looking at the MCDD, Milford Center Design District, and considering what we can put in place either through the plan of conservation development or on the regulation subcommittee to encourage more development specific to what Milford would like. I mean, if we were going to try to change a zone, that would be a public hearing. And that would be something the public would be invited and encouraged to come in and discuss. Downtown Milford, I think what is not going to change too drastically, um, you know, it's a nice mix of, of offices and uh, restaurants and housing. You know, we have, I think the more, the more restaurants we have downtown will bring more people downtown. And that would in turn support the various shops and uh, retail businesses. So, you know, I think it's like the rising tide rises all boats. So the more we encourage development there, then I think it, I think it just helps everybody. And I think we have a big change coming up. We have two mixed use developments that are in queue and that will change downtown Milford. The look is not going to change much, but I think you will, it'll be a little bit more vibrant. What do you see as kind of the future of the transit public transit component versus the individual drivers? And in the, the I, I mean that in the context of parking is continually brought up, whether or not it's perception or reality within the context of public transit, kind of losing its steam a bit. What do you what do you see as the future of of that piece playing into? I think the uh, disruption in the uh 
in public transportation. I don't think that's a forever uh, thing. I think we will, we're going to probably reimagine uh, how close people sit together. And I, I think that similar to what the airline industry is doing, they're improving air handling systems with better filtration. And I think that if you are doing long-term planning, I don't think you discount the ability of people to get in and out of Milford on the train. It could be that there's more cars on a particular train and so then some more distancing on each car. But I do think that, um, I don't think it's time to discount that. And, uh, and I still would plan for that being a, a driver for uh, both getting in and out of town. So Jim, let's talk a little more personal. I know that you, you are a painter uh, and I've seen some of your work. It's great. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into that? Well, I, I don't know that I'm really a painter, but I do, I do play with uh, watercolors a little bit. And um, I had uh, my grandmother and my great aunt and my aunt were all avid uh, watercolor painters. And I painted with them as a, as a teenager and um, recently decided to get back into it. So the last year or so, I've uh, had some paper and some paints and start uh, start getting back after it. Nice. I feel like that's not only great to, to do overall. Uh, Churchill was a painter, right? I believe so, yeah, yeah. I feel like there, there are um, kind of mindfulness uh, components to to painting that that provide not only an outlet overall, but specifically during the pandemic. Have you found that you paint more? No, unfortunately less. Um, I, I had a couple of buddies that we would paint a couple times a month. And um, since the pandemic, we've not done that. And so I, I do uh, occasionally get a sketch pad out, but I haven't brought the paints out at home. And I don't go to the office as much as where I normally would paint. And I just haven't done it. Yeah, I don't know why. Just no, no, no. different. Yeah, it's just different, different, uh, different stuff. Also, during the nice weather, I uh, I'll go outside and I'll I'll play uh, my guitar. So nice. sort of in the winter, where you know I'm inside, I'll maybe pick it up. But the the nice weather, I'll go outside and that'll be my creative outlet. Oh, that's great. So how long have you been playing the guitar? Long time. Yeah, yeah. Who are the people that you like most as guitar musicians? Like, who are the people you your go tos? I'm a big fan of Doc Watson. I like Leo Kotke. Um, you know the finger picking stuff. I've always been an old blues fan, and uh, so a lot of those, you know, Willie McTell and Robert Johnson and uh, Reverend Gary Davis is always kind of one of my uh, my favorite guys. But um, and I like you know Tony Rice and Bluegrass. They're a little quicker than I can play, but uh, it's uh, solo guitar stuff. I never was in a band or anything, but just get together with buddies sometimes and play. And oh, that's great. I had a guitar once, and I think I took a shot at learning how to play for about three weeks, and then I, I think I've sold that guitar since. But I have a ton of respect for being able to to do that, Jim. When it comes to transit-oriented development, and uh, specifically downtown with the train station, I know there's some apartments coming online near Broad Street and um, 
where the funeral home is. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so we did just approve a uh, mixed-use development. It provides underground parking, uh, surface parking, um, 77 residential units that are market rate, and I think there's about 11,000 square feet of uh, retail. The funeral home building itself will remain um, as either uh, either offices on the first floor and some residential use on the second floor, um, and possibly down the road there might be an application for a restaurant to use that space. But um, it is it is consistent with uh, with uh, the trend to develop housing and retail within access to uh, train stations. You know, it's a, it's a good development and we had some good give and take with the developer to add some more green space and to add more parking than the original uh, proposal. So I think it's gonna be a, uh, a nice project for, the, for downtown Milford. That's great. And then when it comes to, obviously Milford has such a robust coastline and floodplain issues come into play. Can you talk a little bit about the the work that is being done or has been done um, on that front? We do see a lot of um, site plan applications and coastal area management plans in front of our board, primarily situations where there was a, an existing house that was damaged by uh, Superstorm Sandy. And what happens is that when they are rebuilt, they need to be raised up and different uh, flood zones have uh, di different requirements for actually the heights. But um, so we do see those applications if they are compliant with the FEMA regs and with our zoning requirements, then it seems that uh, that they get approved. It's something that uh, that we support. You know, people are spending a lot of money. Uh, these are homes that are uh, generally um, right near the water and and they are uh you know they're that, that the whole 14 or 15 miles of coastline is a, is a great uh tax base for uh for the city and um it's good that that the, we have uh these new homes being built in a manner that's they're protected uh from from future storms nice and i know that there was recently a proposal in front of the board uh involving the mall and malls have had a tough time, um, obviously, over the last decade or so, uh, everywhere across the country, and figuring out how to handle those properties is always a kind of a conundrum. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the proposal that was in front of the board? The mall owners uh, came in front of the board and asked for a zone change and to change specifically the language with, within that zone. There is the mall property and there is the uh, stop and shop, and then there is uh, the retail development just further east that has staples and, you know, whatever, a whole bunch of other, you know, big box stores and then a strip mall with some smaller stores. But so that's the retail design district that was created some 40 years ago, probably. And uh, so they wanted to change some language, which would allow them to build apartments uh, where the Sears uh, tire store was. And um, they, we did not approve that. 
and it was my feeling that they came forward with a a proposal that would give them you know income from the from the the, the apartments which is fine you know we do allow uh, residential uh, development inside a inside that zone but it's a 10 acre or 20 acre minimum so they were wanted to reduce that to four acres uh, my concern was that if we approve that they could have the cash flow and really put no effort into reimagining the mall and you know every mall owner and developer across the country is facing you know a uh, struggle with uh, the rise of uh, online shopping, and uh, then you add to that the pandemic that people are sort of staying away from from retail stores and mass. So I understand that they have issues, and Milford would be a, a good partner with them to help come up with a master plan that benefits them as well as benefits the city. And it's our responsibility to ensure that it benefits the city of Milford, not just the developer. And so. I read somewhere where there's nearly 10,000 people who, since the pandemic hit, have changed their address to Connecticut. Uh, for folks who are looking to, to move, what's your pitch to move to Milford? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's pretty much uh, a simple one. You know, you look at what your budget can get you in Greenwich, in Westport. You know, if you want to be near the coast, let's go down each town. Where do you get more bang from your buck, right? So um, Milford obviously has uh, a great coastline. You know, um, it has some great public beaches, some great private beaches, um, and downtown Milford is exceptional. You know, it is iconic. We do have uh, great access from, you know, the Mayor Parkway and the 95, you know, so we're, we're really accessible, you know, great. We're 20 minutes from Yale and plenty of culture and activities, um, you know, close enough to the city to get in every day if you wanted to. We're positioned, you know, in a good spot. We have a culture and a, just a classic New England beauty that is um, unmatched. Well, Jim, I couldn't agree more with you. And I can't thank you enough for your time. Do you have any uh, last words you want to? No, just thank you for having me. And this is fun. Oh, pleasure. No, thank you so much for being on the show and for your mentorship and friendship. And I thoroughly enjoyed serving with you on the board um, and hope to uh, continue to work together. Thank you. Thanks everybody for joining in for win the future this week. Stay tuned for next week. And once again, thank you to Jim Quish for being the guest today, chair of the Milford planning and zoning board. Thank you for listening to the win the future podcast sponsored by the strategic communications firm, a better campaign make sure to visit our website at abettercampaign.com backslash win the future. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends. Thank you for tuning in. Please tune in again next Thursday for another episode of Win the Future.